0: Imagine you're about to get married. Now, try to imagine that you don't even know the person you're marrying.
1: I met her on her wedding day, walked up to her and smiled. No one ever talks to the bride. So I thought that I could try something interesting, maybe break tradition. Henna patterns wrapped around her wrists and climbed up her arms, spreading blossoms on tender flesh. Her lips were a wilted crimson tilted ever so slightly to the side. the perfect almost smile. The first thing her mother taught her was to wipe the tears before the blood dries. Shredded knees heal, but shame never fades away. Don't climb trees or ride bites. That's how little girls lose their virginity. She sat on a porcelain throne, beads and bows, holding plastic flowers to the armrests. Are you all right? I asked. I shouldn't cry, she said, fingers catching tired tears. It's fine to cry. You'll be happy later. I shouldn't cry. How long have you known him? I don't.
0: The voice you just heard belongs to poet Emmy Mahmood. She's a world champion slam poet, a goodwill ambassador for the UN Refugee Agency, and a women's rights activist. Unfortunately, Emmy's poem, The Bride, doesn't describe a unique situation, nor is it fiction. Emmy actually met this young girl at a wedding in Washington, D.C. Worldwide, millions of people live in arranged marriages or marriages that they've been forced to enter. As we know, women's rights are the foundation of gender equality and sustainable development. We simply can't have one without the other. In this episode, we discuss what it takes to get to the point where women around the world gain control of their lives and their bodies. I'm Afton Halloran, and you're listening to the Nordic Talks podcast. Did you know that every two minutes, a woman dies during pregnancy or in childbirth? And that every week, thousands of girls are subjected to genital mutilation? And every year, 225 million women and girls in developing countries who don't want to get pregnant cannot get reliable access to contraceptives. Now add to this the COVID-19 pandemic— disrupting progress on women's rights by pulling resources away from sexual and reproductive health initiatives. I remember sex education in high school. It was so awkward, but at least I had access to this kind of knowledge, and at least I could talk about sex in a safe space. And it's so important not to shy away from talking about sex, rights, and bodily autonomy if we want a sustainable future— Traditions, poverty, and sometimes war are just some of the reasons why girls and women worldwide die from unsafe abortions or live in marriages that they don't approve of. Another reason is the lack of access to information. Natalia Kanem is the executive director of the United Nations Population Fund, the UNFPA. She believes that there are many dimensions to consider when we talk about so-called bodily autonomy and sexual and reproductive health and rights.
2: One of them is the uh, fact of life that women need freedom. Freedom over her own body means freedom of choice to decide what what are my next steps going to be? How am I going to complete my education? Will I become the mayor of my village? or whatever it is that a girl desires. When we open these lines, it also liberates men. I think it's very exciting that Nordic communities engage with sexuality early, age appropriately, so that young people don't proceed in ignorance.
0: Natalia is participating in an online Nordic Talks event hosted by the Danish organization Mind Your Business, in cooperation with UN Women and the Danish government's representation at the UN in New York. Joining her is the Danish Minister for Development and Nordic Cooperation, Flemming Müller-Mortensen. And just like Natalia, Flemming also believes that education and talking about sex are essential parts of the solution.
3: Yes, I have to say that no country achieved full gender equality yet. So it's still a fight. We have to take it all the time. It's important to keep fighting for women and girls' rights. And that's also why it has to be easy and it's necessary to talk about sex, sexuality and rights to bodily autonomy. We simply have to do it. And also, we have to be frontrunners. Some of us has to be frontrunners, also politically to take the discussions. We will all benefit uh, a woman um, if we will give her the autonomy, both for herself, but also for the family, the society, the whole economy, when she is in charge of planning her own life. How many children, when she wants to get the children, uh, education and also career. So there's so many things that will change in a positive way if we make this change. And also quality education is key to maximise women's and girls' potential to benefit the whole country and the whole society where they live. And as just said now, we have so many fragile countries and areas and regions in the world. And we see that. Really, women and girls they suffer as the first when states and regions are fragile. But here in the Nordic uh, country, uh, we have uh, we have shown that if we we can really make a good equality be- be between men and sexes, we will to be able to to take the discussions, and we will also make it so that women can make their own decisions, make their own uh, planning, and. the reason is that we are so equal.
0: The Nordic region that Fleming represents is known for embracing gender equality. And the region has historically been a frontrunner when it comes to women's rights, including the right to control your own body, decide how to dress, and who you want to marry. But also the right to contraception and access to legal abortions. All of this is what is referred to as bodily autonomy. One of the reasons why the Nordics are so advanced in this respect Could be that people in the Nordics are not afraid to talk about sex. In Denmark, for example, it was decided more than 50 years ago that sex education should be a compulsory subject in schools. But there's still room for improvement, also in the Nordics. Looking around us, it seems like these rights are easy to subtract, easy to take away again. And we have recently seen how some European countries and states in the USA have tightened their abortion laws. So how can talking about sex improve women's rights? This is how the young activist Natasha Wang Mwanza from Zambia explains it.
4: I believe bodily autonomy and why we need to have conversations around that as well as sex is really, it just goes down to choices, just as everyone else has mentioned. It's about the freedom to become who you want to be. Being an adolescent means that we are making the choices that are going to determine a lot in the future. Unlike the generation that has already gone ahead of us, they they, they made the choices at this age. And now we are either facing the consequences of those choices or enjoying the benefits of those choices. And so if we Invest in young people's um in young people realizing that they ought to have bodily autonomy. If we invest in conversations around sex, around sexual reproductive health, and if we invest in being able to allow young women, young girls, young men, young boys to actually make decisions that will determine who they want to be in society, then we're going to reap greater benefits in the future. And we won't be facing consequences. The coming, the upcoming generation won't face the consequences of any bad choices, but instead they are going to enjoy the benefits of the good choices that we make because of these investments.
0: Natasha has been advocating for children's and women's rights since she was a child. A part of her activism includes going to rural areas to talk to girls about love, sex, and women's rights.
4: I remember going in the field, I'm in a rural district, and I was talking to these amazing young girls, and they're about the same age as me, and they were asking me all these questions, they were saying, how come you were able to, you know, do all the things that you're doing, you're so brave, you're so courageous, you know your stuff, and you know, it's, it's all about that, and then the biggest thing that came to mind is, I really believe it all goes down to the ability to be able to say no, and decide what I want for my future, and that is exactly what it means for us, as the younger generation, and those that are coming ahead of us. Young people are not just future leaders, of course, we are the now leaders and we're also going to determine a lot in the future, but it all goes down to the decisions that we make about our bodies, who we want to be, what we want to be now, that determine what's going to happen later on and that shape the world. And it also goes down to what's already been mentioned, you know, we're talking about education, we're talking about development, we're talking about moving forward and the people that hold the keys are us. But if we are not able to understand our own bodies, if we're not able to say no, if we're not able to access services, if we're not able to even access information, then we're going to mismanage the biggest tools that we have to actually see the change that we want to see in the world. And so this is why it's absolutely important for this generation, the upcoming generation, and even those ahead of us, to invest in us being able to make decisions about our own bodies, to stand on them and to actually make sure that they are fruitful, because it's not just dependent on us. It's not just dependent on those that it's the whole world that depends on these decisions. So really, that's the biggest and most vital thing. And that I would say about this generation, about the younger generation, it's about the decisions that we have to make and how that's going to shape the future. And it's going to determine a lot for those that are coming ahead of us.
1: She was 17 years old, just graduated high school, and her parents sent her to college because an educated girl could fetch a bigger dowry, but this mister didn't mind a country girl. He grew up with her father. didn't need an intellectual, just someone who could feed the kids while he raised them. She was a mail-order bride, and her father licked the stamp. I cried. How many weddings have I been to? She just got off the plane 12 hours ago, and they already started dressing her. No time to take measurements, so they pinned, satin to her skin, tucked her into the time-tested wire frame our ancestors welded. If you put a girl in a steel corset, you never have to hear her scream. And she was gorgeous.
0: So it seems right to keep educating and talking about sex and how our bodies work. But why are we not seeing the necessary changes being made? Why is it taking so long? Well, the COVID-19 pandemic is partially to blame for stalling important progress. And in some cases, we're even heading backwards.
3: Mostly. Now we see that there are very conservative pushbacks. It seems like there will be room for not uh, taking the the opportunities to to bring up uh, equality as uh, a very important uh, theme. So we see that fundamental human rights and gender equality is really under pressure. Women's right to decide over own body uh, in very, very, a critical situation is really um, they really struggle, and some in some places we can't even talk about that there exists some kind of uh, equality, um, but we we simply have to focus here, and we simply have to to also from the political side to take this uh, fight all over, and I think there will be some some ways where we where we can do it and from the Danish side and from the Nordic side, we we really say that the the SRHR um situation is really fundamental to fight and um we, we, we need to do it in, in, in all matters. Um, we have to use uh, this voice in, in, in all political discussions uh, and by bilateral dialogues. Uh, when we make uh, programming all over the world, also when we talk about uh, funding, and also when we have all the international negotiations, we simply have to put this very high up at the agenda. Um, and uh, I feel it, that when we do it, there will also be partners listening. And they would not be there with, that, with, with their ears if we were not to taking this uh, critical and uh, very important dialogue. So we can influence in, in, in partners and partnerships where we, uh, we build them up.
0: So one part of the solution could be increased awareness and partnership. And political willingness and resources also seem to have a
2: huge impact. We're not only talking about money, but we are talking about money. And it's very wearisome for me as the head of UNFPA to be repeatedly questioned about that African or Asian or Latin American woman who has five, six children who may start childbirth young, again, perhaps against her will. And the question is, oh my goodness, with climate change and whatever, why are people having so many children? And it is so disingenuous and so wrong to not give someone something that they're asking for, which is the ability to control their fertility as they see fit, to have six children, to have two, to have none, whatever it is that she wants. Yet the family planning resources are not there. And this is something that data tells us is an investment worth making. Similarly for young people who need an education in order to thrive and survive. If we're not investing in young people, then please do not turn around and blame them for anything which is of the making of other generations. Part of the values proposition, I believe, and you know, I didn't say I'm, I'm a medical doctor, but I'm actually trained in epidemiology. So I sincerely believe that following data and science can get you good things in life for everyone.
0: Money, agreements, and partnerships are important, But the younger generation that Natasha represents are tired of talk and no action.
4: I feel as though one of the biggest issues that we have when it comes to sexual and reproductive health, as well as the investments and all, is we make so many commitments. They are so like I was doing my research, and I've been doing this for quite some time. I have come across so many documents, so many um, docu- um commitments that have been ratified to by different countries, and yet there's no meaningful progress or accountability when it comes to what they're doing to actually provide that. And I'd love to commit the Nordic Council, like it has been mentioned that They've actually been consistent and they've kept their word, but that's not the same for many other countries. And that's one of the biggest issues that I have seen. The more commitments we keep making, the more promises we keep making, and yet there is no action. And yet when we're making those decisions, we're not involving young people. And then when we step up and we decide that we're going to take it up and we're going to act on it, it should not be a problem. And that's another solution that's definitely big and king. And I love that um, Dr. Natalie has mentioned that, that young people are here as partners but we're also here to take charge of this because we know that at the end of the day no one can tell our story better than we can and no one can do anything for us without us because that is just against us and so the biggest thing that we need to realize is that young people are ready to act we have a lot of people sitting in their offices we have a lot of people making all these decisions and commitments and yet if you look on the ground it's young people that are reaching out it's me who's going into rural areas and educating women on how to use Facebook because right now they cannot access services physically it is me who's on the ground and working and many other young people as well that are using their energy their resources and yet it's not even enough so how exactly can we at the highest level of decision making with all those commitments that we're making actually realize that we need to partner with young people because they do have the energy and we are ready to take over so for me that's the biggest solution i have young people are ready to take over these issues from making the choices of our own bodies, we're ready to make choices of our national budgets, we're ready to make choices about how exactly to implement all these plans and policies, and we're definitely ready to actually be part of these decisions.
2: On the issue of why it takes so long. This is Natalia. Again, we follow the data. It's true that less than 15% of countries even track dedicated budgets to collect and analyze their statistics broken down by gender broken down by uh, age and location. So without that information, it makes planning very, very difficult, but I believe we're getting better at doing this. And as we help to develop the types of services and the types of policies that Natasha has been alluding to, we have to follow the data and we also have to follow the money. As UNFPA um, presented in Nairobi along with our co-sponsors, it actually does not cost a lot for the agenda that we're talking about for sexual and reproductive health and rights to become real, a real reality by 2030, it would be about $26 billion a year to end the unmet need for contraception, to stop mothers dying in childbirth. A lot of these mothers, by the way, are girls too young to have been pregnant to begin with. And gender-based violence is something that we absolutely have to tackle the intimidation and the loss of dignity and life by uh, women and others based on gender identity. So I really think that resources are going to be a challenge now with COVID having affected world economies. And women should not be put at the bottom of the barrel on the list of priorities. Women should be at the top. Young people should be at the top. It's that type of investment that's going to make a difference on uh Things like unintended pregnancy, which have repercussions that last through generations upon generation when it comes to poverty, education, things like this.
0: Despite the pushback that Fleming mentions, and despite the reduced financial resources allocated to awareness raising and education, Natalia, Natasha and Fleming are still optimistic when it comes to the future of girls and young women.
3: This is so important. And we have the muscle. We are all together the muscle that can change and have to change the things. We have to focus on a comprehensive sexuality education across contraception, safe uh, abortion. And we have to strengthen the capacity and build up the capacity in the primary healthcare, both the capacity and the skills. And we have to transforming gender and social norms. That's difficult. And that is really, it takes time. But we can do it.
2: I am an optimist because I meet people who should have given up hope, and they haven't. So if they're not giving up, again, we're back to the power of conviction. And we know that things can change for the better. I mean, if humans created these problems, hopefully we we can resolve them and quickly.
0: As a woman, I often reflect on how different my life would have been if I was born in another period of time, or even another part of the world. So much progress has been made over the past decades, all thanks to the brave people that fought for women to have control over their own bodies and their lives. Thanks to them, I can decide if and when I want to get married or have children. But to this day, many women still don't have the luxury to choose. And we need to stay focused on maintaining and increasing the rights that women have today. This leads us back to another part of the solution, talking more about sex.
4: Another thing that I really do believe is a huge problem is we don't have enough conversations around it. My mom started talking to me about sex when I was about three or four years old because I learned how to read at three. And she started exposing me to all these decisions. Now, my mom has never explicitly told me, don't do that or don't do this, but she gave me the information that I needed to make the decisions I'm making today. And I remember a few weeks ago, I was in this rural district. Now, these girls were getting married off, and some of them were not even married off. them just decided that they wanted to elope with another man because they thought he was going to give them something better than their families and I was seated down with these girls and I'm talking to them and I'm wondering where exactly is the problem, you know? And then one of them just comes out and says, my mom doesn't understand me. And I looked at her and I'm like, okay, so can you explain that? But the fact that they were not able to have conversations about how perhaps she's in love with this man and she doesn't know what to do. And perhaps the mom would have had counsel to actually help her out. So how exactly are we ensuring that we start having these conversations from family level and to every other society level and even just here. You.
1: you could put anyone in her dress and it wouldn't make a difference because we were guests of the groom and this was his wedding. No one knew her name. She only spoke Arabic. No one knew her name. And she danced until the tears came and the middle age used to be brides explained it away. She remembered her mother, they said. Brides always cry when they remember their mothers. She'll have her fifth child by 30.
0: Natasha, Fleming and Natalia are all dedicated to ensuring women's rights but how can we all pitch in and speed things up? Here's Natasha.
4: I am personally going to keep on working with young people in various communities to promote their sexual and reproductive health and rights. There are so many issues like we've heard, and there's so much work that needs to be done. And this can only be achieved when we work together. And what I would love to see is one more investments in youth led and youth led organizations, NGOs as well as women led organizations and NGOs that do with SRHR. I would love us to invest a lot more in social accountability as well. And this is something I would love to hold um, both the UN FPA offices as well as the Nordic Council too, because we need to be able to come back and say, this is what you say during the Nordic talk, what has been done. And we also need to be able to go in communities and say, this is what we discussed during the Nordic talk. How are you implementing that? And so social accountability is important. And if I may, one tangible thing I would love to see is perhaps even an accountability forum or side event during the generation equality, where we just look at practices, learning experiences. We just hold ourselves accountable balances and checks, and just see what progress we've made in, um, with regards sexual and reproductive health. I'd also love to see more investments in, in innovation um, with regards accessing sexual and reproductive health rights services and information in digital spaces for especially marginalized people, because they're the hardest to reach at this point. With COVID-19, like it's already been mentioned, this is something that we need to do. And finally, I'd just love us to all work together to create not just youth-friendly corners or youth-friendly services, or anything like that, but to actually work together and create a youth-friendly and responsive world, one that caters for our ever-growing needs, our needs that are dynamic and in everything that they are, and one where I can go to school and access information. I can go to church and access information. I can go to my friends and access that information. It's a whole world that we're looking at, and we need to create that system. So these are things that I would hold you accountable to. I am available, many young people are available. We have NGOs, we have the resources, and we'd have to work with both the UNFPA offices and the Nordic Council. So yes, these are my um, commitments as well as expectations from this talk. Here's Fleming.
3: We talk so much about uh, sustainability and uh, all over the world and in all circumstances, gender equality is key to, sustain- to sustainable development. I think Denmark we really feel the responsibility and we will we will do it in all our global work. Women and girls. Um, um, front is really in front uh, of all our negotiations and humanitarian work we do with, with the world around us and I have to say that everyone can help realizing women and girls rights and I think there will be three very concrete things I want to say as the as end I have to say claim your rights and I say Hold your government accountable. And thirdly, listen to and involve the youngsters, the young people in all levels.
0: Finally, here's Natalia.
2: UNFPA and their uh, allies in every corner of the world in over 155 countries stands for the same thing. To put family planning in the hands of women is a means of empowerment. That's how a lot of countries got to be developed. Uh, to end preventable deaths among women who are pregnant and understanding that many of these women are young, they're girls. And that leads to our third um, high impact item. And all of the data backs these three zeros, if you will. But the hardest one I believe is changing the fundamental attitudes that will lead to an end to gender-based violence, including as has been said, child marriage And for me, a personal commitment against female genital mutilation. It's something that I worked on as a pediatrician, as an epidemiologist, and now as the head of UNFPA, I'm telling you that we're seeing change as possible. And that was shown by one of the Nairobi commitments by President Kenyatta, which has been followed up on to make ending FGM in Kenya a priority. But in other places, Latin America, Asia, and other parts of Africa. We're seeing follow-up on that accountability to Nairobi. My last point, though, is that there are certain human values that unite us. they are Nordic values as well, uh, equality for all, the principle of partnership, and innovation. So I like the spirit of trying to inspire people to act. If the old stuff didn't work, then let's innovate and try something new that will lead to change and hopefully rapid change because the clock is counting down to 2030.
1: My parents protected me from all the broken men and their flesh eating fingers taught me that someday when the time is right, I would find someone who could cook as well as my dad and who's almost as smart as my mom who'd hold me so close that I could breathe in their memories. When I told my parents about the bride and all we could do was hold that girl's hand, it killed me. Tonight, he'll crush the blossoms around her wrist with the same hands of the man next door threw with his wife last Thursday, the same fists that taught a daughter how to keep her mouth shut. He'll crush the ridges of her spine and she'll hold her tongue, bite the screams as they come, wipe the tears before the blood dries. No one ever talks to the bride.
0: Sex doesn't need to be something scary or taboo in our societies. When we talk about sex, we bring it to light. And when it's out in the open, that's when change can happen. Having the right to determine our own destinies and control our own bodies is a battle that we must continue fighting. And the message is clear. We won't achieve sustainable development without it. Check out nordictalks.com to learn more about the people that you meet in each episode. I'm Afton Halloran. Thanks for listening.